keep them in our prayers. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 23. Speaking of Jesus says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Then, say, then he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Mark chapter 1, and by coincidence, the same verses, verse 23 to 27, says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him, and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Amen. In both of these accounts, we observe Jesus interacting with elements and realms that people clearly understood were beyond the usual limitations of men. To speak to a storm and to have it obey your voice as if that was some automatic response or an everyday occurrence amazed the disciples in the ship with him. And then in the synagogue, in the place that was put aside to hear the word of God, a God who they knew to be a spirit, the service was interrupted by a man with an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit or that demon recognized Jesus, cried out in fear that Jesus was going to destroy it. And Jesus proceeded to cast the spirit out of the man. That was some Sabbath day. You ever been in that situation where you missed church and then you caught up with somebody and they said, man, you should have been in church on Sunday. You missed a great service. Well, I promise you, when they went home that day, the people that hadn't been in synagogue, they said, you should have been in church today. You should have seen what that Jesus God did. Amen. And so just as the disciples in the ship marveled at his authority, those in the synagogue were amazed that unclean spirits obeyed him. With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to preach or teach about the opportunity of obedience. The opportunity of obedience. The authority with which Jesus spoke to the elements of nature and evil spirits alike was a testimony to his identity. The voice that spoke in Genesis and said, let there be light and let this happen and let that happen in creation the, the, that vacuum, if you like, when there was nothing there but him. And that's so hard for our brains to comprehend that man has been trying to find a way to explain it without God, but there is no way to explain it without God. But it was that same voice that spoke in Genesis, that spoke in the bow of the ship, and so it is not surprising that nature also obeyed him without question some thousands of years after creation. The unclean spirit, recognized the voice as being the same one that had cast it out of heaven 
along with Lucifer when they rebelled and it was very aware that all power and authority still belonged to the one true and living God. In both of these examples, both of these accounts, there is no negotiation, there's no pushback, but rather there is an instant submission to the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Amen. But you and I, as the only created beings with the ability and too often the audacity to say no to God, we hold a position that is both privileged and precarious. We need to be reminded, and I feel the, the urgency of the Lord this morning to remind us that when Moses came down the mountain, he carried what has since then come to be known as the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. They were commandments from God. And when you look at the Old Testament and when you study it, the Old Testament was very strong in its expectation of obedience. That when God spoke, He expected obedience. It was His requirement. It was not open to be discussed, to be adjusted, to be renegotiated, to be watered down. But He expected that creation at every level would obey His voice. Perhaps the most well-known passage when we talk about obedience is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when King Saul had been instructed to, well, I guess the most honest way to put it is to annihilate and eradicate the Amalekites, not just the people but every living creature to destroy them from the face of the earth. And he did an incomplete job, bringing back the king alive and also some of the animals. And when the prophet Samuel challenged his failure to follow through with that which he was commanded to do. He tried to justify his action by suggesting that the animals could be offered as a sacrifice unto the Lord. He tried to package it spiritually. I've met a lot of people through the years that you try to use spiritual talk to avoid obedience. The sobering response from God to Saul through the prophet Samuel is found in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, where Samuel said, Does the Lord have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and Saul may not have recognized it at that time, but he was in rebellion. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And then the prophet said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, because you were disobedient, he has rejected you from being the king. The principle found in this passage is still applicable today. If you or I endeavor to attempt to worship God while knowingly being disobedient to his commandments in our lives, our sacrifice is of no interest to him. I'm not saying we have to have perfection. I'm not saying that you have to have every single I dotted and T crossed. But if you are deliberately and, and aware of that disobedience, then you can worship and you can sing and you can dance and the Lord is saying, I can't hear you. Because obedience is still better than sacrifice. Amen. Again, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 4, Cain the Bible says, and his offering 
were both rejected by the Lord. Why? Because he didn't do what he knew was the right thing to do. He knew what was required and he chose to overlook that. And the Lord in his goodness even appealed to Cain. Cain sat there in anger and self-pity. And the Lord said to him, if you'll just do the right thing, you'll be accepted. Cain, he said, if you'll just be obedient. And this interaction between God and Cain unfortunately became a pattern for God and his people throughout the Old Testament. If you go to Jeremiah, you, you almost you feel the frustration of God in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 21. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. The Lord is not saying that he wasn't involved in the process of sacrifice and offering, but he was saying, you know, because their hearts weren't, and he said, you eat your offerings. You look at some different translations, he's saying, don't bring it to me, you might as well eat it. He said, I'm not really interested here because when I brought your fathers out of Egypt, although that approach and worship was a part of it, he said, what I really wanted, What I really wanted was for them to obey me, for them to walk with me, for them to be my people that I could bless them. And then he said, but they didn't listen. In fact, they didn't even consider my way, but they listened to other voices. They listened to their own hearts. And the scripture says they went backwards instead of forwards. That's a terrible statement to have the Lord speak about you. And if you read the book of Deuteronomy, which some of you know, perhaps better than others, is the last of the five books of what is called the Pentateuch or the five books of the law, or the books that Moses wrote. A very simple overview of the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses is reminding the current generation what happened to their fathers before them when they chose to disobey God. He reminds them that the laws of God and, and, and challenges them to be a people that live by those laws to put their trust and their faith in God. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, there is always two sides to almost every statement. There's promises and there's warnings that go hand in hand. One passage, just as an example, which you can read completely in your own time, is the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. It begins with this whole list of blessings that God promises for those that obey His commandments. He talks to them about blessing their health, their families, their income, their their crops, their cattle. He says your enemies will be afraid of you. He said other people will come to borrow from you, not the other way around. You know, and we understand that, that that material blessing was very much a part of the Old Testament covenant, but the principle is the same. God said to them in in fantastic biblical language, He said, You will be the head and not the tail. He said, you will be above, not beneath. It's a statement of the blessing and the privilege of walking with God, but just as exciting as those promises were for those who were obedient, the warnings that came for those who were not obedient were very, very sobering. The Lord basically said, you're going to be cursed in everything that you do. 
Cursed in the city, cursed in the field. Cursed here and cursed there. He said, you're going to get engaged to a nice girl, someone else is going to marry her. You're going to build a nice house and someone else is going to live in it. It's just like on and on. He said, instead of rain, you're going to have dust and drought. And in Deuteronomy 28 and 62, the Lord said, you shall be left few in number. Whereas you were as the stars of the heaven for the multitude. He said, that's what I wanted you to be. But you're only going to be a handful. Why? Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. I hope you're getting the fact that obedience matters to God. Obedience matters to God. Amen. And then in the scripture we have the incredible life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. A man who entered into covenant with God. A man who had that miraculous child Isaac. A man of such significance in history that the Jews, Christians and Muslims all look back to him historically. A very significant man. But you're at the very basic level, what is the significance of Abraham's life? Hebrews 11 and 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. That's what it comes down to. God said, go. God called and Abraham obeyed. Did he know where he was going? Nope. Did he have a a location? Did the Lord send him a pen? On Google Maps or Apple Maps or one of those. He, he had no idea. God just said go. And he obeyed. He was obedient. That is the essence of what made him the man of God that he was and would become. Obedience is the manifestation or demonstration of faith. I'll say that again. Obedience is the manifestation or demonstration of faith. If you believe, you will obey. Abraham obeyed God. And that's why even in the New Testament, he is the benchmark of faithfulness. He is the one that Paul referenced, who was pre the law, and yet he is the reference of what walking with God by faith looks like. Doubt is manifest in disobedience. The writer of the book of James made it clear that faith is shown, not simply declared. He said, you can talk about it all day long. He said, but show me your faith. Do something visible. Obey the word of God. Demonstrate what God wants you to do. You know, if we really believe, you know, to, to just say we believe is one thing. But if we believe in our hearts, nothing will stop us from obeying. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. In other words, the doctrine, the preaching of the gospel, it told us that we were sinners, that we needed to be saved, and that if we weren't saved, we would be lost for eternity. And we heard it, and we believed. Amen. But what else did we do? We obeyed from our hearts. Amen. We're ministering this morning about the opportunity of obedience. When Peter stood up in Acts 2 and preached that first message on the day of Pentecost, on the birthday of the church, they heard a similar content in that message to what we heard when the gospel first reached for us, that we were sinners, that they needed to be saved, that Jesus had died for them and that he rose again. And the Bible says in verse 37 of Acts 2, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said to Peter 
and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we believe? Now they said, what shall we do? What does obedience look like, Peter? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What have we got to do, Peter? How do we obey? How can we respond if we believe what you're saying? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Not everybody believed what Peter had to say. But verse 41 says that they that gladly received his word did something. They were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us a similar story. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. There's an us and a them there. It's simply divided by who believed and who didn't. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. The writer says that we all heard the gospel message. It was preached to us. It was preached to them. But they didn't mix faith with it. And so there was no profit for them. It didn't do them any good. Amen. I want you to understand this morning, there's an opportunity in obedience. Amen. It's a word that human nature does not like. It's a word that we, we do not like that idea. You know, when you, when you, you know, if you Google obedience, you know what comes up most? Dogs. Not people. Dogs. Because they're easy to train. <laughs> they're easier to train than people are. You know, as I was preparing this message and thinking about how obedience is central to the Word of God, my mind went to the Scriptures about children obeying their parents. And you go right back to the Ten Commandments. One of them is to honor your mother and father. One of the Ten Commandments, that's in the top ten along with don't murder people and don't cheat on your wife. Honoring your parents is right up there with those things. And again, in the New Testament, in both Ephesians and Colossians, the Lord says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And in Romans and 2 Timothy, we're not going to read all this for the sake of time, but in both of those books, one of the signs of the last days and one of the signs or the tokens of the complete depravity of mankind is that children will be disobedient to their parents. You know, if I asked you, what is the worst thing going on in the world? Most of us wouldn't think, yeah, kids aren't doing what they're told. There's a whole lot more we worry about out there, right? But in the sight of God. Now, there's a balance in the scripture. It says parents can't be tyrants. In fact, in Ephesians and Colossians, when that instruction is given, there are instructions to fathers about not being tyrants not being rulers and dictators that set ridiculous standards for our children. It's interesting it's given to fathers, not to mothers. It's one for us to think about, men. But why does it matter so much to the Lord? Why does it matter? Because it's a picture of the relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants to be a father who loves, provides, protects, and instructs all for the child's benefit. If our children learn the principle of obedience to godly parents 
from the time they are very young. This is not just about having good manners or making your bed or taking the rubbish out or doing your homework. or All, all those things matter, but it's bigger than that. It's imparting a principle and a practice that will impact their eternity. Because it will affect them when they get to school, it will affect them when they get a job, and if they don't obey their parents, why in the world would they listen to a preacher? Amen. That's why Jesus said that even though we are flawed, I think the King James says even though we're evil, we still want to give good gifts to our children. But he said, how much more? Does your heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Amen. Jesus loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. Now that's easy. Now turn to them again and say, Jesus loves me as well. That's easy to believe that He loves somebody else. Jesus does love us. He does want to bless us. But John 14 and 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments if you love me there's obedience that is required amen that sounds very demanding i got to keep your commandments i have to you know but aren't you just you know god is love warm and fluffy but if i love you i have to keep your commandments yes it kind of sounds like you know we're servants or slaves Guess what? You are. (laughs) Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 16, says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked, and we've already read this verse, that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, You became the servants of righteousness. So the reality is we are all serving someone or something. We all are. Whomever we surrender to, we're their servants. Now again, human nature prickles at that. Human nature says, I'm nobody's servant. I can do whatever I want to do. Really? Let's see you try and give up sin by yourself. Let's see you walk away from addictions in your own power. Let's see you change that anger problem all on your own. Let's see you heal your own broken heart. Let's see you manufacture peace in your life. Let's see you take away your fear. Let's see you provide a hope for your own future. You can't do any of that. Why not? Because you're a servant to sin. But when you obey the word of God, what happens is you then have the freedom to choose who you will serve. That's the difference. Until we're born again, we don't choose who we serve. It's established. We can't get out of that snare. But when by faith we obey the word of God, we are able to say, Lord, I choose to serve you. That's why there's no such thing as passive Christianity. You're going to serve somebody. Even when you think you serve yourself, you're serving sin. Because your sin is wicked. Your heart is deceitful. That's what the Bible says. Joshua, when he was getting to the end of his time, Joshua 24 and 15, he said, you know, if it seemed evil to you to serve the Lord, he didn't say don't serve the Lord. He said, choose this day who you will serve. You're going to serve somebody. He said, it can be your God, the gods of your fathers on the other side of the flood. That didn't go too well for them. 
He said, or, you know, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he said, as for me and my house, he said, we will what? Serve the Lord. He meant. He did not say it's a choice to serve or not. He said, who are you going to serve? Which one? Even Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. In other words, you're going to have a master. <laughs> oh, this is our flesh just, hmm. And nobody telling me what to do. Yeah, somebody is. You just got to decide who it's going to be. <laughs> Amen. We, he said, nobody can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. Amen. I've used, I know I've used quite a lot of Old Testament this morning, but just in case you think that God has a split personality, the New Testament still expects us to do what we're told. Still expects us to do what we're told. You know, when Scripture, and particularly the New Testament, including the New Testament, gives an instruction, just because it doesn't begin with thou shalt, or thou shalt not, does not change the fact that it is a commandment. Now, we don't read it like that. But if the Word of God says something, yes, it's a commandment. And modern Christianity has, and I use that word Christianity very loosely, has painted a picture of grace and mercy that dilutes the authority of the Word of God in our day-to-day lives. And yes, it is without doubt a fact that we are all a work in progress. We are all growing in the grace of God. And yes, we are not to be each other's judge. You've got enough of your own issues to worry about. But that progress that we are all a work in and that growth that we all need only happens through obedience. You say, well, sometimes you say, well... The Lord's still working on me. That's code for, I haven't submitted myself to what he wants just yet, but I'm thinking about it. Growth and progress happens through the avenue of obedience. And yet, it's hard sometimes. Anybody find it hard sometimes to walk with God? Some honest people in the building? Some that aren't paying attention? Some that are asleep? That's all right. You know, I was listening the other day while I was driving home from the desert back to Alice Springs listening to Sister Melissa Hickler, the pastor's wife from Cairns, teaching, and she made a couple of statements that really caught my attention. And I I messaged her and said, could I have your notes because I want to borrow a couple of things. It was very hard to write notes doing 100 kilometers an hour on a single-lane bitumen road in the desert. But the first thing she said was this. She said, we need to normalize struggle. In other words, to understand that, yes, it's normal to struggle sometimes. It is an illusion to think that Walking with God is just skipping from one mountaintop to the other, singing the hills are alive with the sound of music. That, that is not what a walk with God looks like. The scripture is full of people's struggle. It is full of promises from God for when we struggle. So she said that's the first thing, that we need to normalize struggle. Obedience isn't always easy. But then she said something which I thought was the perfect balance. She said we also need to normalize overcoming. We need to normalize overcoming because too often in modern Christianity we recognize the struggle and we understand that there's a battle but we make the mistake of stopping there and somehow perceiving that because it is a struggle that God's grace gives me a pass to do what I'm supposed to be doing. That is not biblical. That is so wrong. And yet it has permeated so much of the mindset of modern and postmodern Christianity. 
Yes, we need the grace of God. Yes, we need the mercy of God. But the grace of God is provided to help us overcome, to help us to be victorious. If you're living in a permanent state of struggle, it's not how it's supposed to be. Overcoming needs to be normalized in the house of God. We need to be careful. The grace of God is given to us so that we can do what God asks us to do. And yes, we are weak sometimes and you might drop the ball. But the grace of God is not a free pass or a get out of jail free card for disobedience. You know what grace says? Grace says confess your sin, repent and get back to doing what you're told. That's what grace says. Now that's not popular, but that's Bible. Amen. I'm not, and again, I don't want to be misunderstood, I'm not talking about earning our own salvation or somehow through our own works, our own actions that we save ourselves. I'm not saying that at all, but we we are saved. Ephesians 2 tells us by grace through faith. And how is faith faith manifest? Obedience. Grace provides the opportunity. Faith says, I believe, I will obey. That is, that is the whole package. When you say we are saved by grace and you put a full stop there, you are messing with the word of God. Through faith. The very next verse, it says it's not of our own works. That's right, we don't boast. I've never, I can't take away the smallest sin I've ever committed. I can't fill myself with the Holy Ghost. I can't live a victorious life by myself. I need him for all of that. But that same chapter says we are his workmanship. Created unto good works to obey what he wants us to do. Faith is manifest in obedience. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if I believe that God came in flesh to pay the price for my sin and he said if you love me keep my commandments, that faith is going to generate obedience. It's not enough to say, well, the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, he did. That's why he had to come, because it's wicked. There's opportunity in obedience. Obedience to the gospel produces new life. When you obey the word of God and you're born again, you have an opportunity to live forever with God. Luke 6, very well-known portion of Scripture. We'll start at verse 46. It says, Jesus speaking, said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now, when you begin, if you've got a Bible software program or if you're old school and you've got a strong concordance, which is like going to the gym, go home and, and look up obedience and obey and those things in the Scripture. Find out how much it's actually in the New Testament. Some people have this mindset that the New Testament, you know, the Old Testament was hard and rough. The New Testament is just peace, love, and everybody having a good time. There's a whole lot of obedience in the New Testament. Amen. But Jesus said, don't call me Lord if you're not going to be obedient. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? He said, whosoever cometh to me and hears my saying, and we know this passage since we were kids in Sunday school. And does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. That's the one that listens and obeys. But he that hears and disobeys, let's put it straight, it says doeth not, let's put disobeys in there, is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth 
against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of it was great. When I keep His Word, when I do what I'm told, when I'm obedient, my house can stand in a storm. That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity that I would like to take. I don't want to have a life that falls apart when the wind blows. And I want Jesus living in my house. I don't want to oversimplify things today, but there are a lot of things in our lives that would go so much better if we just obeyed the Lord. There's a lot of things, and you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I'm just going through something, and you may be, but I know in my life, there's a lot of somethings I wouldn't have gone through if I did what Jesus told me to do. There's a lot of self-inflicted somethings in there that I made bad choices in. I mean, you know, sometimes being obedient requires going against popular opinion. If the way you think is very similar to the way the world thinks, your brain's in trouble. You've got to go against cultural pressure, sometimes against family and friends. And Peter said in Acts 5 and 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Bless the Lord. I'm not too far off being done, if you'll just bear with me. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness, or what concord. I, I love that word because that word concord comes, you've heard me teach it, it comes from the Greek word symphonesis. In other words, we shouldn't be playing the same music as the devil. What part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That whole two or three verses is all about contrast. Then the Lord said, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you. Remember we talked about obedient children? I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, some of you know that when it talks about being unequally yoked, it's talking the example, the word picture is a yoke that they would use to put animals together to harness them to work together, often oxen or something similar to that where usually a piece of wood was shaped that it would go across the shoulders or the necks of the oxen so that one they were yoked together. Wherever one went, the other one went with it. So as the farmer would plough the field or wherever the work was that he was doing, as he steered them, they operated like, I guess, like the front wheels of your car. They just, they were in sync. And so when the, when the apostle writes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, it basically means that any relationship, any union that makes your lives inseparable from somebody who's not serving God is disobedience to the Word of God. Now, we often use that passage to talk about marrying somebody that's walking the same walk of faith, and it applies there, but it's broader than that. Anywhere that you join yourself together with somebody that you do not, you, you have to go where they go, and they're not a believer, the Lord said, don't do it. That's a commandment, not a suggestion. It doesn't say thou shalt not, it says be ye not. Same thing. Amen. Disobedience has consequences. I've seen friends that I grew up with in church that for whatever reason, however they justified their decisions, went out and got married to nice people. But they weren't 
walking with God. They became yoked to that person. The ones that I can think of that come to mind quickly are all divorced. Some of them have been abused. Some of them, it's just been a disaster. There are consequences for disobedience. We need to read the Word of God. Any, you know, any instruction we read, we need. You know, we change the way we think. And say that's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. Paul also wrote in First Corinthians six. He said that we should flee from fornication. In Second Timothy two, he said that we should flee from youthful lusts. They're not suggestions. They're commandments. And if we obey them, there's an opportunity to be overcomers. If we disobey them, there's a disaster waiting to happen. Mark 11, chapter 25. The Lord said, when you stand praying, He said, or when you come to pray, He said, forgive. That's a commandment. It doesn't say thou shalt, but Jesus said, if you're going to pray, you've got to forgive. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. You know, we, we can read those verses without realizing that's as strong as it is. He said, when you begin to pray, you better be ready to forgive. And he said, you know, because if you don't, forgiveness is not coming back to you. And that's hard for our humanity. If you've been offended, if you've been hurt, forgiveness is tough. And sometimes you've got to keep doing it again and again. Sometimes you've got to come back and say, Lord, give me a right spirit. Help me to forgive that person. Help me to release that, that offense, Lord God. But there's an opportunity there. If I will obey that verse and say, God, I need to pray, but I know I've still got a problem with my brother or my sister, help me to forgive them, Lord God. As I take that opportunity, forgiveness comes back to me. Forgiveness from God comes back to me. And he says, I know you've fallen short of the mark, but I've got grace. I've got mercy. My blood is still able to wash away your sins. If I will obey and forgive... Jesus will forgive me. And I don't know about you today, but I want to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. Obedience to the gospel grasps the opportunity to be saved from our sins. But that's just the beginning. First Peter chapter 1, and I won't be much longer. I know it's warm. Trust me, it's warmer up here. First Peter 1 and 18 says, For as much as you know, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily or truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him, that's us, we who by him we believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit under unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Peter wrote and said, We're not redeemed with the wealth of this world took the precious blood of Jesus like a spotless lamb. It was God's plan before creation that there would come a time that it would be revealed to us and through the revelation of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, 
we now have faith and hope in God. Then he says something that really moved me when I read it. He said that when by obeying the truth and continuing to obey the truth, our souls are being purified. That's what that says. And that process produces in us a genuine love, one for another, that continues to be manifest from a pure heart. And then Peter reminds his audience that the natural life, the things of this world, it's like grass, it just it withers and it's gone. But the Word of God lives. It abides and it endures forever. Amen. As long as you and I choose to be obedient to the Word of God, we have the opportunity one day to stand before Him and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul said in what is considered to be his last epistle, 2 Timothy 4 and 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What does it mean to keep the faith? It's easy. You go back to our verse in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep. It's the same word. But Paul said, I've kept the faith. And Jesus said, keep my commandments. It's the exact same word. I, mean, I want to challenge us today to look at this word of God afresh. Let's try to shake off this soft version of the gospel that modern Christianity wants us to consider to be acceptable. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, if you're obedient to the truth, Spirit of God's purifying. Your soul, love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's an opportunity in obedience. Our flesh is, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. But when you understand the love of God and the goodness of God, if I will hear his voice, if I will obey him, there's deliverance, there's salvation, there's healing, there's wholeness. Amen. There's things that we could never even dream of. When we serve sin, stand with me if you would this morning. Just lift your hands to him and worship him. Hallelujah. Let's pray together today. Lord, we worship you. God, I pray that we would read your word.